God uses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. I kind of hit on that a little bit last weekend, and just that statement to me is mind-boggling. Why would God want to use me? Why would he want to use you? Why would he want to use ordinary people? Because sometime, somehow or another we think, well, I, I've not, I'm not arisen to a, a level where I feel like God could use me or would want to use me, right? You kind of think that way. But if you read the Old Testament, and we kind of tried to make a case, I tried to make a case for that last weekend as we kind of followed God and how he was carrying out the plan and how he was revealing who this Messiah, who this Savior is going to be, how he used people that were totally imperfect. He used Abraham. He used Judah. He used David. You know, I mean, he's using all these imp- you know, imperfect people, people that you would never, you say, no, you can't use them because of this, or you can't use them because of this. But God uses them, and he, he turns things upside down. It's amazing how he does that. And so what I want to do is I want to look at three groups of people, three people, basically, that um, one's, the first one's a couple, and uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and each one of them have a visitor an angelic visitor and god is going to use them and he's going to ask them to believe the impossible and to trust him with the impossible which is like yikes it's like crazy but that's exactly what he does so i would love you to follow along with me and the the point what i want you to take away hopefully this weekend is this i want you to begin to believe that God doesn't just want to save you from hell, but he wants to use you to accomplish his will in the lives of people around you. That you can do incredible things for his glory. I absolutely believe that without a doubt. And I want to encourage you along those lines because my, I've, I've always believed this. I believe that the greatest people in heaven are going to be people you never heard of. <laughs> that were working behind the scenes. That were the people that you didn't even know. You wouldn't know their name. You wouldn't know their face. But they're going to be heralded in heaven because God used them in powerful ways. And I don't think God has changed what he's doing and how he works. So let's jump into the word of God. You have, hopefully you, when you walked in, you got one of these guides and you have the notes on the front. And then in the middle, uh, we have the life group guide. I'm going to make a mention of that in a, in a moment. But um, let's just talk about these three episodes where an angelic visitor has this meeting with people. And it's kind of interesting. So let me read you the first one. Uh, the first one is found in Luke chapter 1. And it's uh, Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah. Let me read that. I'm starting at verse 8. And it says this. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, He was startled. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear a son, and you are to call him John. This is John the Baptist's father. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to wisdom of, righteous, of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, uh, Zechariah was kind of surprised, caught off guard for two reasons, okay? The first reason was, okay, so the priests were kind of on this schedule. They would go in and do the duties of the, the, the temple, right? They would go in. It wasn't like there were five or six priests serving at a time. It was one. And one priest would go in, and he would do it. So it says here that he's offering incense. And he's not in the Holy of Holies, but he's outside the holy place. So you had the Holy of Holies, and then you have the holy place where you have the, the, the incense, where the incense was born. Well, uh, that's where Zechariah is. Now, you don't go there to meet people. <laughs> You're not supposed to meet anybody in there. So, you know, imagine this. He's in there doing his duty, and he turns, and he sees this person, realizes he's an angel, it's like you don't meet people in while you're doing priestly duty. So, of course, he's startled. It's like, this is not the place that I expect to meet anyone. No one's supposed to be in here except for me. Right? So he's startled. That's the first thing that was surprising about it. Secondly, uh, oh, by the way, one of the things, and this is more of a rabbinic tradition. Uh, this is the rabbis believe this, and many of them uh, taught this that they would tie a rope around the leg of the, uh, the priest when he went in to do his duties because if he dropped dead in the temple, in these holy places, he, and he couldn't get out, you, you couldn't go in, you would desecrate it. And so they would, you know, they were wondering, in, th in this case, they're wondering, well, when's he going to come out? When, should we pull the rope? Should we pull him out? Is he dead? And uh, so... Uh, they, that's just a tradition that uh, may or may not be true. But the point is, he's in there a long time. And so what's going on? Well, the angel is telling Zechariah, and this is the second surprise. The first one is there's somebody in there with him. Number two, the second surprise is that you're going to have a baby. <laughs> because he and his wife, Elizabeth, have been wanting a baby their whole life. And in that day, in that time, not to have children, to be barren as a woman was a curse. It was seen as God cursing you. You had done something wrong because women who had children were blessed by God. Women who didn't have uh, children were cursed by God. That's just the way they saw it. And so Elizabeth lived her whole life, Zachariah and Elizabeth lived their whole life in shame. They, they hadn't done anything wrong. They were righteous people. They just couldn't bear children. And so the, the angel says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a boy. Well, that's even better. In that day, having a boy was like the best thing in the world, right? Because that's just, boys were just highly valued in that day. 
our day's a little different. But in that day, this was like you hit it big. But it's not just that. It's like this is a miracle because, as you'll see as you read further in the text, she's kind of old. And so is he. They've pretty much given up the idea that they're ever going to have children. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm here to tell you you're going to have a son. And he's going he's to follow the Nazarite vow. The, the vow of the Nazarite was that there was no alcohol. They wouldn't cut their hair. They were, they were meant to be you know, dedicated completely to God. And so uh, this, this is quite surprising, very surprising news that Zechariah gets. And what more than that, he says, not only are you going to have a son, and not only is he going to follow the Nazarite vow, uh, but he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. I mean, that's just like, that's like the best. You, you couldn't get anything better than that. So Zechariah, of course, he's overwhelmed with this news, and he asks for a sign. He goes, you know, it's like in the Old Testament. They've done that a number of times. You've seen this in the Old Testament, right? where God tells him something great and says, well, do you have a sign? You know, Moses says, well, you have a sign before I go on to Egypt. And God says, well, you're going to be back here and, you'll, you know, and I'll r- remind you of this time. But what does he do here for Zechariah? He shuts his mouth. He makes him mute. He can't talk anymore. So he comes out and he's not able to, to talk. And you can read about that in verse 19. Look at what it says. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah comes out of the temple and he's mute. He can't talk. His tongue has been frozen by God and... uh, And Elizabeth, all of a sudden, she's pregnant. And she's like, whoa, like, I never expected this. It's like, you know, we've wanted to have a child, and now all of a sudden, here I am, I'm having a child. And she gives birth to a son, and his name, well, there's the question there. What's his name going to be? So, obviously, Zechariah has communicated to Elizabeth that uh, the name is going to be John. Now, here's the thing. They don't have any relatives named John in their family. It was a very important thing that you would name your children after, you know, the dad or the grandfather or somebody like that. Well, they had nobody in their family named John, so they didn't have to decide. You know, when you have a baby, they tell you at the hospital you have to choose a name to put on the birth certificate before we'll let you take the baby home, right? Well, in this case... When the baby was circumcised, you had to have the, the name for the baby chosen. So Mary or, or Elizabeth is saying, okay, we're going to name him John. And then the people around, the family members start saying, you can't name him John. You can't name him John. There's nobody in the family named John. And they all look at Zechariah, and he kind of makes some motions, and he asks him for a pad, and he writes down in the pad, the baby will be called John. And the moment that he wrote that, his tongue was open. And he began to speak. And the people were just absolutely amazed. Absolutely amazed. Now he goes on, the first words that he speaks, the first words that he speaks, you can read about them in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. It's a praise to God. 
His first words when his tongue is open is he gives praise to God. Praises God. Here's the point I want you to see. Zechariah and Elizabeth and even John, their son, John the Baptist, all became willing accomplices in preparing the way for the Messiah. They all had to trust that God could do the improbable and the impossible through them, and he did. You, you know, we don't have time to go into it, but if you follow John's life, John is out and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's fo- and he says, he says, John is saying things like, he must increase, I must decrease. So John understood he wasn't the guy. He was preparing the way for the guy, for the Messiah, right? And so here's what I want you to understand here first. God wants to do incredible and even impossible things through you. The question is, will you join him? We have a phrase that we're trying to kind of cement into the culture here. And we call it believe, belong, become. Believe, belong, become. And it's the idea where first we believe and we give our lives to Jesus because he gave his life to us, right? We cross that line of faith. And then we belong. We get connected. And it's more than just coming on the weekend. It's really connecting in a more, uh, more individual level And that's where we have these life groups. And it's a place for you to get connected to a group of people who know your name and you know their name. They're praying for you. You're visiting them in the hospital. You know uh, what they're going through at work and different things like that. So you, you have this family connection with these folks. And then becoming. The idea of becoming is we serve. We use our gifts. We use our abilities. We use. Well, here's here's the point I want you to see tonight. Here's the point I want you to see this weekend. I want you to understand that Jesus is, is taking you for where... And so I want you to stop and say, well, where am I in this whole thing? Am I, have I believed yet? Have I trusted? Have I crossed that line yet? Do I belong to a group? Our groups, our life groups have just ended their, their semester. They're going to start a new semester in January. And if you haven't been part of a life group, we want to get you connected in January to a life group. We use these guys right here. The inside is, uh, is the study. And though our, got, though our groups are done for the semester, we're still writing these guys so that your group can use them or you can use them individually. And I'm going to make a reference to this in a moment because it it's just an opportunity to go a little deeper than the message. Take a, to, to, you know, because some people say, well, I, I want to go a little deeper. Well, this is what the guides are for. So we'd love you to do it within a life group. But if, you, if, you're, you know, if you're between semesters or you're not in a life group, this could be something you could do individually. So I want to ask you, where are you at? Have you believed? Are you, you know, have you believed? Have you crossed the line? Are you belonging? Have you connected? You know, not just you're kind of an outsider looking in, but you're part of a, a life group. And are you becoming? And that's really kind of what I'm hitting on this weekend. Are you at a place where you're saying, God... I want to become the person you want me to be. And, and God, I want you to do the impossible for my life. And God, I want to be the influence you want me to be. Um, so that's kind of where we're going. Uh, let me give you the second time an angel appears. And he appears to Mary. This is a passage that most of you will be very familiar with. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so now... Remember, we said Elizabeth had been barren, she's old, but now she's six months into her pregnancy, and now Mary gets this message uh, from an angel. God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, 
a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went into her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asks this, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One will be born, uh, called the Son of God. Now, most of us have heard this passage. Mary was pledged to Joseph, and that was similar but different than being engaged. It was a little bit more robust and a little bit more involved. Um, it was a very serious commitment when, when uh, Mary and Joseph are, uh, are engaged. Um, so the question is, can you imagine you're Mary and you're, you're engaged to Joseph and the angel says, you're going to have a child. And she says, well, Joseph and I haven't been together. How's that possible? Well, it's going to be through a supernatural uh, process that God is going to overshadow you and you are going to become pregnant. Don't understand that, but that's kind of how it's described. Her baby would be special. Somehow God would divinely oversee the conception of her child without a human father. Now, she doesn't understand how this could be, nor do we. Okay, it's a miracle. It's a mystery. And so Mary's trying to wrap her brain around what she's being told. You know, think about this. What does she tell her parents? You know, I mean, what are they going to assume? Oh, you and Joseph, right? No, no, no. We, we haven't been to, oh, Come on, stop it, Mary. Uh, what is Joseph going to think? You know? When, when, when he find, you know, he's going to discover she's, married, she's, she's pregnant, what is Joseph going to think? Well, he's obviously, we're going to see it in a minute, but he's obviously going to struggle with this. So how is she going to explain her pregnancy? Who would believe her? And who would believe the story of an angel? Oh, no, let me tell you what happened, uh, Mom and Dad, Joseph. It was an angel. It was God. It was like, okay, uh, no, I don't think so, right? Mary's having trouble understanding it. She's having trouble trying to figure it out, and let alone trying to explain it to the people around her. All they're going to see is this. Mary, you're pregnant. We know how this works. What's going on? Right? And it's a shameful thing. So it's interesting because Zachariah and Elizabeth lived in the shame of not being able to conceive and have a child, right? Mary is living in the, with the shame of being able to conceive a child, but doing it in a supernatural way, a way that she could never explain it and never articulate it to anyone. She doesn't even understand it herself. So God does something incredibly gracious for her. He sends her to Elizabeth. 
somebody who would understand, right? <laughs> he sends Mary to Elizabeth, and she's, she's, he, she's with Elizabeth for six months. Maybe it's three months. He sends her to Elizabeth, three months. He sends her to Elizabeth for three months. Now, this is exactly what Mary needed. Because Mary, if you're a normal person, you think, am I going crazy? This is nuts. And Elizabeth could be there to say, listen, we both had the vision thing, you know. Zechariah could say, yeah, I met with Gabriel too, right? He's kind of a scary guy, right? And so they could compare notes and they could encourage each other. And so Mary had this, this perfect friend when she needed a friend. Somebody who could understand the impossible. Somebody who, everyone around, do you have that going on right now in your life? Do you have a couple of people in your life? Do you have a lot of loved ones, family members and friends, and they don't understand what's going on in your life because you, you have a love for Jesus, you have a love for God, and they don't get that. And, and, but yet you, you have a couple of Christian friends, and they get it. When you, when you talk about the rejection, when you ca- talk about the mocking, when you talk about the, uh, the different, you know, the, the snide remarks and stuff like that, but your friend, your friend gets that. Say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I've had that happen too. And so that's what God does. God give, sends her to her relative Elizabeth, who is also experienced in a miraculous birth in her old age. And so God is good. Mary needed a friend, so God sends her to Elizabeth. Now Mary responds in faith. And this is Mary's response in, to all of this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. Now Mary gives a song of praise right after this. Just remember Zacharias when his mouth was open. He gives a song of praise to God. Mary gives this magnificent. And, and she gives a song of praise to God. You can read about it in uh, verses 46 through 55. Now here's what I want you to see. Mary was asked to believe the unbelievable to open herself to rejection, shame, and ridicule. And she willingly, joyfully joined God's mission. And I want to ask you a question this weekend. Think about this. How far are you willing to go for him who faced rejection, humiliation, and pain for you? Sometimes your Christian faith takes you down a road where you're going to find rejection, misunderstanding, humiliation, and what do you do? You say, well, I, want, I don't want to be rejected by my family and friends. I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be uh, uh, you know, made fun of. I don't like that. But remember what happened to him when he hung on the cross for you. He was mocked, was ridiculed, was made fun of, he was beaten. He did that for you. So the question I'm asking you is, how far are you willing to go for him? who face rejection, humiliation, and pain for you. Let's do one more. So an angel appears to Joseph, and boy, an angel needs to appear to Joseph. Because Mary needs protection. Mary is out there, and she's vulnerable. And she needs protection. And so God sends an angel to Joseph. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
But before they came together, and the idea there is sexually, they had not sexually been together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph had, uh, had, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? It means God is with us. God is with us. Now Joseph was faced with, bad, with some bad news about Mary that became impossible news. The bad news was that Mary was pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. The impossible news was that it was a supernatural birth. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's impossible. But he finds out that Ma- when he finds out that Mary is pregnant, not by him, he must have been confused. He must have been ups- uh, upset and disappointed. His reputation as a godly man was on the line. Because people would make assumptions as to how Mary got pregnant. And he, they knew they were together, so they, they would make an assumption that it was Joseph who got Mary pregnant. And how are you going to argue against that? Again, how do you make an argument? Do you say, no, it was God that did it, right? And people are going, yeah, right, Joseph. Okay, yeah, sure. So he has his reputation on the line. What would people think? He is an innocent party. How would he ever defend his honor? But not only that, and what we see in the text is, he's concerned about Mary. Joseph is an honorable man who wanted to protect Mary. He decided to give her a quiet divorce, and Joseph was trying to be faithful to the law, but he also wanted to save Mary from public disgrace. He was a good man. He could have he could have made you know he could have said it's not me and I'm, I don't have anything to do with her you know but he doesn't do that he's not willing to, to cast her aside so an angel appears in a dream and tells Joseph that Mary's pregnant through a supernatural miracle he is to stay with her Joseph is told the name of the baby is to be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins and Joseph woke up. And he did what the angel of the Lord told. He proceeded with the marriage to Mary. And he risked the shame. He risked his reputation to take Mary as his wife. Now, Joseph's obedience to the angel was essential for Joseph uh, to count as Jesus', Jesus legal father and establish the Davidic descendant. Remember that legally... Joseph was the legal father of Jesus. And it was through Joseph's line that the Messiah would come. Not through Mary's line, but through Joseph's line. So if Joseph doesn't marry Jesus, then then the messianic line is broken. And so Joseph's obedience to the angel uh, 
was essential for Jesus to count as Joseph, for Joseph to count as Jesus' legal father and establish the Davidic descendant through Joseph, even though he had no biological connection to Jesus, he had a legal connection. It's very important you understand that. So it's very, very important. So Joseph went on. By the way, for some of you, this is going to be new information, and it's going to kind of go, really? I never heard that before. Maybe most of you had. Joseph went on to have, after Jesus, went on to have four boys and at least two girls. By the way, we know their names. Uh, James was the oldest. By the way, James was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. James was the he would have been, so Jesus was born, and then James was born. Um, and then Joseph was the, would have been the third born. So his namesake would have been the third child that Mary bore. And then there was a Judas and Simon. Judas was a very common name in that time. It wasn't just Judas the betrayer, you know. So there's, there's, there's four boys besides Jesus, right? And then we know there's at least two sisters, at least. So we can surmise, if you think about, okay, so how long do you have between having children and they went to Egypt and all of that, it's pretty likely that Joseph spent a lot of years with Jesus. Probably it was in his early to mid-teens before Joseph comes off. Because we don't hear a lot about Joseph after this whole birth thing. We hear about Mary, but we don't hear about Joseph. Well, when we start hearing about Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus is probably in his late 20s, early 30s. And so Joseph has probably died probably when Jesus was in his late teens, middle to late teens. If you, if you kind of put a couple of years between and stuff like that, it makes sense. And we don't know. He could have had more daughters. Don't know. But the point is, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. <laughs> and Joseph and Mary had a number of children after Jesus, right? So Jesus, Joseph naming Jesus confirmed his acceptance of Jesus as his own. He named his son Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin is the, lo the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. You see, Jesus came as a rescue mission of one to save us from our sins. Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, Mary, and Joseph were all willing accomplices in the plan that God had. They willingly said, God, I will do it. And, they, and God carried his plan of salvation out through them. Now, what I want you to close is with this. God is still looking for willing accomplices today. He's looking for people who will trust him when life doesn't make sense. And I think that you can make a case that Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and Mary and Joseph were all saying, this doesn't make sense. 
this is going to bring shame. This is going to bring, you know, reprise. This is going, people, my own family doesn't get this. But God is looking for people who will trust him when life doesn't make sense. God is looking for faithful people who are more concerned about God's kingdom reputation than their own. Joseph says, you know, this is going to just destroy my reputation, but it doesn't matter because it's about his kingdom. He is looking for people who are willing to be rejected because they have been accepted by the one who matters the most in the universe. He is looking for those who will go for him on a mission that looks like an utter failure. Even at the cross, we say that Mary was there watching. And everyone there that day said, there's another failure. He couldn't even save himself. But if he doesn't go to the cross, we're still in our sins. We're still dead. It wasn't a failure. It was an incredible victory. It was the death blow on the serpent. But for everyone there, even Mary in her heart, it was told, your heart, he will pierce your heart. You're going to sit there beneath the cross and you're not going to understand what's going on. It's going to look like a complete failure. Can you imagine watching your son who was supernaturally conceived in your womb being executed like a common criminal and everyone around is mocking and making fun. Now, pull this uh, middle guide out just for a second here. So one of the places that I go in this guide this weekend is on this page. This, All right, so if you go over here, it talks about Isaiah 6. I just want to briefly tell you where this is going. Just so you might want to take some time this week with this. So God, God reveals himself to Isaiah. Isaiah says, woe is me. I, I, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. And God cleanses him. And then the first words out of God's mouth are, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. And God says, okay, let me tell you what the mission is. You're going to go preach to a people, and they're not going to listen. You're going to warn them, and they're going to make fun of you. You're going to speak my words, and they're going to say, forget it, I don't want to listen to this. In other words, what God is saying to Isaiah is, I, am going, I need somebody to go who's going to, from the world's perspective, be a complete and utter failure. Hands, who's up for that? No, that's not the kind of ministry we sign up for. I want a successful ministry. I want a ministry that's going to... I want, I want, to, be, I want to prove that God, God is going to accomplish positive things and I'm going to be slapped on the back and say, what a attaboy, right? We want the attaboys. And what God is saying, there's no attaboys in this one. They're going to want to stone you. They're not going to like you. They're not going to want to listen. You are going to be an utter failure, but I need you to go for me says to Mary, you're going to carry this child, and this child's going to pierce your side. He's going to pierce your soul. And boy, did he. But here's, here's what God is looking for. He's looking for those who have the attitude of Mary. Can I read that one more time? We'll close with this. 
She said this in Luke 1.38. This could be a great verse to have for your life. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. God needs more people that are willing to say, May whatever your word is to me be fulfilled. Do it as you say. I'll pull that guide out one more time. Because the last meditation I have for the prayer time, I have this phrase. I've used it a number of times. I don't know who came up with it. But I love it. The last phrase, let me read it to you. In the end, we are spare change in God's pocket. Our prayer should be, God, spend me in any way you see fit for your kingdom and your glory. That's what it means. Not just to believe, not just to belong, but to become. Are you at a place where you can say, God, whatever, I'm just a piece of spare, I'm a, I'm a quarter, I'm a nickel, I'm a dime in your pocket. You spend me in any way you see fit for your glory and your kingdom. That's my desire. Are you there? How are you going to get there? It's only by looking to the cross and realizing he did that for you. Let me pray with you. Help us, Father, because without your help we can't do this. It's not about doing or trying harder. It's about just remembering what has been done for us and being so thankful and so grateful. In the end, Father, may we be like Mary and have that attitude. May what you will, what you desire, what your plan is for us, may it be done as you say for your kingdom and your glory. Father, I pray that this week that you would spend us as your spare pocket change for your glory. For your glory, not ours. And Father, it may be that some of us, you will call to a mission like Isaiah that is going to be a horrendous failure from the view of this side of heaven. But from heaven, it is going to be a miraculous success. We've just looked at a couple of examples of that. We're so thankful, Father, that you can do the miraculous even when it looks like a disaster and a failure from our human perspective. Thank you that you want to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things for your glory and your kingdom. May you do it in us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.